The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of Lexington Community Radio or its board of directors. The views expressed are solely those of the programmers. You are listening to Off the Cuff. Now, here's your host, Adam Banks. Welcome, everybody, to Off the Cuff. I am Adam Banks coming at you live from Lexington, Kentucky. Thank you for listening to the show, and thank you for tuning in to WLXU 93.9 FM. In addition to listening on the radio, you can check out our Facebook live stream at Off the Cuff with Adam Banks, or you can stream the show live from the station website at radiolex.us. I am broadcasting from the Deborah Hensley Studios here at Radio Lex on North Limestone. It is August the 10th, 2023, 401 to be exact. Thank you, everybody, for listening. It's not as hot as it normally is on an August day. It's 81 degrees. I'll take that any day of the week. It's better than 90. So I know that people that work outdoors have to appreciate weather like this, carpenters and, and, and such, because it gives you a little break from the heat. I don't know how they do it. Anybody who works outside, it is, I commend you for doing it. I mowed grass yesterday in the dead of the heat, and it almost killed me. So just make sure that you are drinking plenty of fluid if you are working outside. Drink lots of water, but not too much of it, because apparently you can die from that. I don't know if you guys have heard the story of Ashley Summers, a 36-year-old woman who apparently died from drinking too much water. So I've always heard that. I've heard that to be a thing that you could die if you drink a lot of water, if you drink too much of it. Too much of anything is a bad thing. And even water falls in that category. If you drink too much water, it can be a bad thing. So the family of Ashley Summers will definitely tell you that because she was a daycare worker out of Monticello, Indiana, and she had two young daughters, and she died unexpectedly on July the 6th after boating on a lake with her husband and kids on the Independence Day weekend. Ain't that wild? The cause of death was drinking too much water too quickly. Insane. Drank too much water too quickly. Her family was shocked to learn that she died of something called water intoxication. Apparently, drinking excessive amounts of water can mess with sodium levels in the body, causing cells to swell. It says here that uh, Ashley Summers developed a headache on the 4th of July and felt like she couldn't get enough water. She drank four bottles of water during a 20-minute boat ride from a sandbar to the dock before passing out at her home later that day and never woke up. It pinched off her blood vessels like a kink in a hose and it just stopped the blood flow to the brain. A lot of things happening there by just drinking a lot of water. So, Water intoxication is where the body's electrolyte balance is thrown off. So drinking a lot of it when you're dehydrated can throw off so much of your electrolytes that it could cause your cells in your body to swell. That's, it's scary to even think about. 
Water intoxication, also known as water toxicity, is uncommon but can happen if a person drinks water too fast. It says here that sodium helps to maintain blood pressure and is vital for the healthy functioning of the nerves, the muscles, and body tissues. And when the amount of sodium in fluids outside cells drop below normal because of excess water consumption, water moves into the cells to balance the levels, which cause the cells to swell. When brain cells swell, it can be life-threatening. So the kidneys can process, it says here, 20 to 28 liters of water per day, but drinking more than 0.8 to 1 liters per hour is potentially harmful. So when you get the urge getting off the treadmill or taking a long run to start sipping on water and doing it fast, you could be causing your body harm instead of good. Because we think that we need water just to make ourselves more hydrated, but unfortunately drinking it too fast uh, can definitely can definitely harm you. Dr. Alok Harwani, an emergency physician at IU Health Arnett Hospital in Indiana, said that early signs of water intoxication can include feeling very out of it, fatigue, headaches, and just the general feeling of feeling unwell. Once identified, water intoxication requires hospital treatment. So once you get it, you need to go to the hospital to get treated for it. It's one of the few certainties in life. We all know that death is going to happen to all of us. We know that we're not going to live in this life and get out of it alive. We're all going to die, but it's just unfortunate and so sad to die of a freak accident like water intoxication. Yes, I would call that a freak accident. Dying from too much water? Alcohol, we know. You drink a lot of it, you can die. A lot of people, they get drunk, they vomit on their own uh, puke, or, or they, they, they get choked on their own puke, and that can kill them. But very rarely do you hear somebody dying of water intoxication. And, and yes, I would call that a, a freak accident. And we don't know how we're going to leave this world. We don't know the way we're going to exit. But I really always feel terrible when people pass because of freak accidents. Because freak accidents, you think most of the time they can be prevented. And usually... When you're looking at a freak accident situation, it was a freak accident because there was nothing this person could have done. It was just the wrong step at the exact right second. And do you guys remember that show, A Thousand Ways to Die? It was basically a a whole show dedicated to freak accidents, people dying by just the strangest way possible. And I started thinking about that show when I heard about this girl dying of water intoxication. So I started looking up some of the most bizarre freak accidents, the most fatal freak accidents that have ever existed out there. And I have compiled a list here of some of the most bizarre fatal freak accidents that I've ever heard of. For instance, in 2007, a man from Oakland, California, was just walking down the road with his wife, just taking a stroll, taking a nice, relaxing walk. And he was hit in the head by a fire hydrant, and it killed him. The police say that they described this as a million-to-one chance And he was only 24 years old when this happened. So basically what happened was he was walking down the sidewalk when suddenly an SUV struck a fire hydrant behind him. The impact of the collision dislodged the 200-pound iron object and sent it hurtling through the air right into the back of this man's head. And it killed him. You never do think that a fire hydrant's ever going to get tore up from the ground and, and thrown at you. But it did. Getting hit in the head with a fire hydrant. 
Also, another freak accident that I heard about was a woman was killed by a slippery floor and an open dishwasher. She went over to visit a friend. Uh, her friend was cleaning the her kitchen, so it was wet from, from mopping. And she had her dishwasher opened, not closed. And this woman, she was walking in her friend's kitchen, and she slipped on the water that was on the floor from mopping. And she landed... On the dishwasher. Now, luckily, the dishwasher broke her fall from hitting the floor, but unfortunately, the dishwasher was loaded with a ton of knives that were sticking out of the dishwasher, and she fell on the dishwasher into all of those knives, and that killed her. A very bizarre accident, and it happened to a 31-year-old lady. What about the woman that got crushed to death by a Taco Bell sign. She was sitting under it, eating her meal, and the Taco Bell sign came and crushed her. That's a freak accident. Another freak accident is 19 people were killed all at once. They died in a panic over a crocodile on a plane. This is a crazy story. It says apparently a passenger had boarded the aircraft with a crocodile in tow. And somehow the reptile got loose during the flight. As the passengers and crew justifiably panicked, their shifting weight led to the plane's engine stalling, ultimately bringing the plane down into a fiery explosion and everyone on board died. So think about that. Next time you're irritated of something going on on a plane, nobody needs to be shifting their weight all at once because that can throw the plane off balance. But a crocodile on board of an airplane is what caused people to panic, shift the weight of the airplane, and the airplane crashed. I always, when I'm flying, I always get mad when people even get up to go use the bathroom because I feel like you're going to throw off the weight of the plane, even though I know that's a totally irrational thought. You hear stuff like this, and it just brings those irrational fears in more of the front of the brain, and it just it freaks me out. Another freak accident that I read about was a cow fell through the roof of a, uh, fell through this man's roof at his house when he was sleeping. It said that it was a Brazilian man was sleeping one night in his bed when a cow fell through his roof onto his bed. His wife, who was lying next to him, and the cow were unharmed. And it went on to explain that the, the cow got up on the roof because the house was sitting next to a hill where all the cows were, and the cow climbed up the hill onto the roof. Obviously, a cow weighs a ton. It was too much pressure for the roof, and the cow went slamming through the roof onto the man while he was sleeping in his bed, and he died of internal bleeding because of that incident. And then finally, uh, one of the last things that I read about, which I found one of the most bizarre, fatal freak accidents, was this this case of this ex-con man who was in prison. His name was Lucky Levinson. So the irony in being named Lucky, and he was just released from prison, and he wanted to celebrate by getting drunk, driving an SUV, and hiring the services of a sex worker. He gets pulled over by a policeman in a panic, and he shoves a pepper spray can into his butt, since getting caught in possession of one was a violation of his parole. But... This guy, Lucky, was drunk, so he gives an attitude to the officer who pushed him up against the car, activating the activating the pepper spray, and it sprayed inside of his rectum, and it killed him. So, a freak accident, folks. 
Yes, there's all kinds of different ways to die, but it's always just very unfortunate and sad when you die from a freak accident. Uh, of course, I'm sure everybody has heard stories of of the guy. I don't know if you've heard it or not. If you haven't, you need to YouTube this. This guy, this paramedic that was on a helicopter, or he was on some type of airplane, and the window broke in the airplane, and he got sucked out of the plane, and he was there was so much force that he was just the wind was blowing him into the plane. So he was like outside of the plane, half inside the plane, half out, and he couldn't get in or out because the wind and the pressure was trying to suck him out of the plane, but it was pressing him against the plane. And that is too much pressure for a human being to stand. And because of it, he died. Getting sucked out of a plane, I know a few years ago, a woman on a commercial airlight was sucked out of a plane window. It can happen. Those are freak accidents. So just because it sounds rare and you're thinking, oh, that could never happen, that's a one in a million chance, yeah, that's true. And the likelihood of it happening is very rare, but there still is always a chance of something like that happening one in a million. You just don't want to be the one it happens to. But folks, we have a great show ahead of you today. You are listening to Off the Cuff with Adam Banks right here on WLXU 93.9 FM. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Everybody to Off the Cuff. Adam Banks here with you. Music is such a powerful force that can evoke such strong emotions and memories with all of us. There's no wonder why there's been several great songs written about our nation. Think about how many songs have been written about America. There's a lot. And there's also been songs written about specific states, like this one, Sweet Home Alabama, by Leonard Skinner. And we did a whole segment on this show before about official state songs. And I played you what I felt like was some of the best official state songs that were out there. So today on the show, I would like to revisit that topic of state songs, but instead of playing what I feel like are the best official state songs, I want to play for the audience the best unofficial state songs for each state in this country. Now, obviously, we're not going to be able to get through all 50 states today on the show. That would be impossible, so we'll have to break it down. I'm going to say we do 10 a week, so we'll start in alphabetical order with Alabama. And... Now, like I said, there are a lot of songs out there that are considered the official state song for Alabama. We know that Sweet Home Alabama is not the state song of Alabama, but I feel like it's the best song written for the state. And I think that there are a ton of songs that sing about states that are so good, and I want to play for each state, what I feel like is the best song that was written about it. Now, these is what I call the unofficial state songs of these particular states. And we'll start with Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinner. 
you know, Leonard Skinner is not even from Alabama. They're from Florida, but they became icons over singing this song about the state of Alabama, Sweet Home Alabama. So they loved Alabama because they were from the South and they just wanted to write an anthem for one of their favorite states, hence this iconic song. So like I said, it's not the official state song, but I feel like it's the unofficial state song. So for this topic, I would like to talk to the audience today about the best unofficial state songs for each state in the country. And we'll start with Alabama. Now, let's move on to our next song on the list. And this will be from the state of Alaska. And the song that I think's the best song that's sang about Alaska is this song. It's called North to Alaska by Johnny Horton. This song was Johnny Horton's biggest hit. But the country star, he did not get to live to see the success of the song. It became the number one hit on the Billboard country charts just days after Johnny Horton was killed in a car accident in Texas. Maybe if he was driving north to Alaska, he could have avoided such tragedy. All right, next on the list is Arizona and this is a great country song, and I feel like this is the best song ever written about the state of Arizona. It's called There Is No Arizona by Jamie O'Neill. Now, we know that this isn't the official state song of Arizona, but I want to call it the unofficial state song because it's the best song sang about the particular state. This particular song is about a woman singing about a man who promised her all these great things. He was going to get her out of the town she was living in. He was going to take her to Arizona. He was going to do all this and that for her, but she found out very quickly it was all just a lie. song she's singing about all of these great Arizona landmarks but she's saying there is no Arizona because this whole time this guy who has promised to get me out of my town make my life better he was lying the whole time he was just blowing smoke a great song about the state all right the next state and song on the list comes from Chris Stapleton and this song is about Arkansas, and the song is called Arkansas. I just love the gritty guitar riffs and gruff vocals of Chris Stapleton. Now, Chris Stapleton, I know what you're thinking. He's from Kentucky, yes, just like Alabama was from Florida, but hey, a lot of country singers have a lot of affection towards other states as well. So, Even though Chris Stapleton is from Kentucky, you would never know it if you listen to this song because he has so much Arkansas pride. You hear this song a lot in the stadium at Arkansas 
football games, and they also play it in arenas at Arkansas basketball games. This track is just a blast to listen to because of the vocals and the guitar riffs. It's edgy, it's fun, just like Arkansas. All right, next on the list is California. And I feel like the best unofficial state song for California is by Tupac, California Love. This song has 129 million Spotify plays on it. It's an iconic West Coast jam. And it features Tupac and Dr. Dre, despite being from two different places. Dr. Dre from the East Coast, Tupac being from the West Coast. But they both shared love of California, and that's what this song's about. There's been a ton of songs written about California. This was actually a hard state to narrow down because I was thinking, gosh, there's Phantom Planet that sings their great song about California called California. There is the Red Hot Chili Peppers that sings their song about California. But I feel like, and then there's that one song too called We Got More Bounce in California. I almost went with that one, but I could not ignore the iconic tune of Tupac with California Love. So I'm going to consider this the best unofficial state song of California. All right, the next state on the list is Colorado. And I feel like the best song ever written about the state of Colorado was the song Rocky Mountain High by John Denver. And this song has over 18 million plays on Spotify. It was a top 10 hit for John Denver in 1972, but it also dragged the country star into controversy. The song was temporarily censored by the FCC that year for perceived drug references. John Denver denied those claims. So you really have to sit down and listen to the song to know if that, if he was talking about drugs or not. I'm sure he was, but John Denver says not. When I hear this song, I think of Dumb and Dumber when Harry is, Harry and Lloyd is sitting on the road and they're like, so this is Colorado, huh? Man, that John Denver was full of boo. John Denver died, unfortunately, in a plane crash. But nonetheless, a great song written about the state of Colorado. Now, keep in mind, this isn't the official state song of Colorado, but it is the best song ever written about Colorado. Rocky Mountain High. All right, we're at number seven. So this is our seventh state. We're going in alphabetical order, and the next state on the list is Connecticut. And... The song that I'm going to play for you is called Connecticut Fun by Punk Estra. And Connecticut Fun isn't the most popular song out there, but it does have a cult following. So you may be one of those people. It's a huge song in Connecticut. It's 
It's kind of the punk anthem for the state. In a traditional punk style, the song features simplistic lyrics that are easy to rally around. There's hand claps, there's distorted guitars, and singing that sometimes comes close to spoken words. Connecticut Fun is definitely a punk song at heart. I feel like the state of Connecticut's very punky anyway. It's not southern, it's not northern, it's punky. Number eight on the list, and we're only doing ten today, but the next state in alphabetical order, we're going to go to Delaware, and the song that I feel like's the best unofficial state song for Delaware is called The Delaware Slide by George Thorogood and the Destroyers. It's got 471,000 streams on Spotify. It's got a great beat. George, George Thorogood has been the first state's chief ambassador of blue, blues rock since the 1970s. Before he and the Delaware Destroyers topped the charts, however, he was a Californian. But George Thorogood showed his Delaware pride with the nearly eight-minute Delaware slide on his band's debut album. So this is an eight-minute song. And like the first two minutes is nothing but music. Alright, coming up next on the list is the state of Florida. And the best unofficial state song for Florida has to be Miami by Will Smith. Now, I know what you're saying. Miami, that's a city, that's not a state, but hey... Florida is represented by many great cities. What makes Florida so great is the cities that are in Florida. And Miami is one of the best cities in the country, and it's located in Florida. So the song Miami by Will Smith has to be the best unofficial state song for Florida. Will Smith scored top 20 success with this 1997 track and wasn't kidding when he professed his love to the Florida city. Nearly 10 years later, he gushed about Miami while speaking with a Virgin Radio Dubai interview, saying, My two favorite cities on earth are Dubai and Miami. I'm going to Miami. All right, and finally, the last song on the list for today's 10 states that I'm going to be going over as far as the best unofficial state song is going to be Georgia. And the song is The Devil Went Down to Georgia by the Charlie Daniels Band. Now, we know that the state song for Georgia is by Ray Charles, Georgia, which, I'm telling you, that song right there by 
Ray Charles is the best song ever written about Georgia, but I'm not putting that on the list because it is the official state song. Remember, this list represents the best unofficial state songs. So those are songs, these are all songs written about the state that wasn't considered official state songs. Give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul because I think I'm better than you. The boy said, my name's Johnny and it might... Charlie Daniels is originally from North Carolina, but will forever be loved in the Peach State for this song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Charlie Daniels says the song was inspired by a fiddle-themed poem titled The Mountain Whipperpool. And that, folks, is some of the best unofficial state songs for each state in the country. Now, we covered the first ten, starting with Alabama all the way to Georgia. So next week, we'll do another ten, and we'll do it all the way up until we get finished with this. But I hope that you enjoyed it. Now, keep in mind, these are not official state songs. These are unofficial state songs is what I'm calling them. And simply what I'm saying are these are the best songs that were ever written about that particular state. So you're probably wondering what Kentucky is. Well, you'll have to wait until we get to Kentucky, which will be coming up next week. But all right, folks, we still have lots more off the cuff coming at you live after these words. Stick with us. We will be right back. everybody to Off the Cuff. Adam Banks here with you. It is August the 10th, still slap dab in the middle of summer, and a lot of people kind of forget that because school is slowly getting back into session. I know a lot of counties across the state have been having their first day of school this week. Fayette County has their first day next week. But nonetheless, it still is summertime, so still hang on to those summer activities. We're not through the summer just yet. It is still August, the hottest month of summer, and it's great. You know what I miss, though, about the summertime when I was a kid? Yes, I miss all of the summer activities you do as a kid, but one of the biggest things that I miss as a kid is all of the great summer blockbuster films that used to come out. Anymore, it's very rare to have a huge blockbuster come out during the summertime. Now, they try to, to do that still, like Barbie, for instance. That's the summer blockbuster for 2023. But back in the day, back in my day, back 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, they used to release summer blockbusters week after week after week. But usually... There's always one big summer blockbuster that just takes the cake. Everybody has to go see it. Everybody wants to know what it's about. It's the movie to see. And there's been several throughout time. Did you guys know that the first ever summer blockbuster movie was Jaws? Jaws was the biggest 
hit Hollywood had ever seen, as a matter of fact. It was the first movie released in more than 400 theaters in the United States and the first movie to gross over $100 million at the box office. It was the highest grossing movie of all time until Star Star Wars was released two years later. So, I started thinking, since it is the summertime, we need to do some type of theme here on Off the Cuff. We need to have some type of recurring segment to end out and close out our summer. I know last summer, we did like a little summer series where I talked about the best one-hit wonders throughout the decades. And we went over the 90s and the 80s and the 70s and so on of some of the best one-hit wonders. And it was a great summer series. It was a good summer theme. So this year, we're still in the summertime. We still got, what, five weeks of summer left? Five, six weeks? So there are still plenty of weeks and episodes that we will be doing in the summer. So I'm sitting here trying to think, what is a reoccurring segment that I could have us do going forward for the rest of the summer until the summer ends? And since I love movies and a lot of my listeners love movies, I started thinking about doing a reincurring segment every week until the summer ends where I take a blockbuster movie that that has happened, that has been released in the summertime, sometime through history, and do a deep dive into that movie, talking about the cast and the crew and, and interesting facts and playing interesting clips from the movie. So that, I think that's what I'm going to do. So I am going to, going forward for the next several weeks, and or at least until the summer ends, we're going to take one summer blockbuster movie that has been released throughout time and do a deep dive into that movie where we talk about it. And I felt like, since this is the first episode where we're doing this, it's appropriate to talk about the first summer blockbuster that was ever released, and that, folks, is, of course... Jaws. If you have not seen Jaws, it's a movie that you have to see. And what even gave me the idea to do this topic was because I was, I found myself watching Jaws on Netflix. I had always heard of that movie. I had always seen bits and pieces of that movie, but I had never really sat down and watched it from the beginning to the ending. So I was absolutely blown away with how good that movie was. It truly is a blockbuster movie. It's a 1975 American thriller film directed by Steven Spielberg, one of the most iconic directors that's ever existed, and it was based on the 1974 novel by Peter Benchley. It stars Roy Schneider as police chief Martin Brody, who with the help of a marine biologist, Richard DeFrius, and a professional shark hunter, Robert Shaw, hunts a man... Uh, hunts a man-eating great white shark that attacks beachgoers at a summer resort town. Murray Hamilton plays the mayor, and Lorraine Gary portrays Brody's wife. The screenplay is credited to the writer of the book, who was Peter Benchley, who wrote the first drafts, and actor-writer Carl Gillespie, who rewrote the script during principal photography. The movie was shot mostly on location at Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts, and Jaws was the first major motion picture to be shot on the ocean and coincidentally had a troubled production going over budget and schedule. The art department the, the art department had a ton of mechanical errors with the shark because it would malfunction a lot, and Spielberg decided mostly to suggest the shark's presence employing an ominous, 
theme created by one of the most prolific composers to ever exist, John Williams. And this music was supposed to indicate that Jaws was approaching, that Jaws was coming near. I mean, you guys remember the iconic Jaws movie. It's it's insane of how recognizable the music is. The sole music notes played for composer John Williams' Jaws themes are E and F. That's it. Just two keys. Jaws marked the second times John Williams worked with Steven Spielberg after his film The Sugarland Express, and John Williams has composed the music for every Steven Spielberg movie since, with the exception of 1985's The Color Purple and 2015's Bridge of Spies. And why not? You get one of the most iconic directors and music composers together, and you get the Jaws iconic theme. How many of you guys are in a swimming pool playing with people and and you do the Jaws noise because you're acting like you're a shark going to grab the leg of somebody? So Jaws, it was a summer blockbuster, but what's interesting about Jaws is it wasn't even supposed to come out in the summer. It was originally planned for a Christmas 1974 release. But because of the length of shooting and the delays because of the mechanical shark made this go impossible, so they decided to push it back into the summer. Hence why we have now summer blockbusters. And now Jaws is considered the first summer blockbuster to ever exist. And it took a very long time to make Jaws because of the technical problems and working on the ocean. Think about that. It took 65 days to shoot. Well, they scheduled the shoot for 65 days, but it took 159 days to shoot. And that's not counting post-production, which can take a ton and a ton and a ton of more months to complete. So what's interesting about this movie Jaws and what's fascinating about it is it's scary. And it's scary because of just the allure of the shark, the thought of it happening to you. Because how many of us can relate to a movie like this? If you ever go to the ocean and get in the ocean, you are taking a risk of possibly getting eaten by a shark or at least attacked by a shark. So it is a realistic movie. Now, I don't know how many sharks are out there in the ocean that was as big as Jaws, but you don't know what's in the ocean. You do not know how big sharks are. There could be sharks out there that were literally bigger than Jaws. You don't know. Have you explored every inch of the ocean? No. But Jaws, the shark itself, was not in the movie a lot. It says here that the great white shark doesn't fully appear in the movie until one hour and 21 minutes into the two-hour film. And the reason for this, of them not showing the shark, was because of all of the mechanical problems that the shark would have, and it would look fake. So Spielberg had to create inventive ways to shoot around the non-functional shark. So when you watch Jaws, you don't see the shark a lot. You really do see it in the end. Well, you actually only see it at first, one hour and 21 minutes into the film, and then you really get to see it at the end of the movie. And let's be honest, the best scenes of this whole movie was the opening scene 
and the closing scene. The rest in the middle, I feel like was fluff, but the five-minute opening and the 10-minute closing of Jaws made this movie one of the top 10 movies ever created. Think about that. 15 minutes of this movie is what makes this movie one of the best movies ever created. Like that opening, that opening scene where the girl, the first girl, the first victim of Jaws gets attacked by the shark. I I just, it brings chills upon me. I really do think it was one of the best performances by an actress in a death scene. So the opening scene took three days to shoot. It says here to achieve the jolting motions of the shark attacking the swimmer in the opening sequence. A harness with cables was attached to actress Susan Baclini's legs and was pulled by crew members back and forth alongside the shoreline. Spielberg told the crew not to let Baclini know that she was going to be yanked. And let me tell you something, folks. Susan Baclini, the girl who was the first shark victim at the opening of Jaws, 100% delivered one of the best death performances in cinematic history. I almost get teary-eyed every time I watch it. Her hyperventilating after the first bite, and then her pleading for help, and finally in her last moment pleading to God. It's so disturbing and heartbreaking. I mean... This and Casey Becker's death in Scream's opening are the two best scenes in horror movie history. But Susan Becklini absolutely knocked it out of the park with the way she uh, presented herself in this movie. And it was just absolutely an insane opening. And what makes this opening so intense is that we don't see the shark at all. Steven Spielberg leaves the audience to interpret what's happening beneath the surface of the water through the shark's point of view. Only seeing Chrissy, who is the character in the movie, only seeing her legs. And then she's swimming. And then you only see her being dragged around with the intense music playing, indicating how brutal this beast is going to be that we haven't even been introduced to yet. Jaws will forever be one of the greatest movies ever made. But take a listen, folks to the opening scene of this movie in Jaws. And I want you just to listen to the actress Susan Baclini and how she delivered this iconic opening performance. I mean, how can you open up an iconic movie like Jaws? You do it this way. And then it's silence, peaceful, and then the movie continues. And that's the opening. You want to hear something else fascinating? The girl who played Chrissy in the opening scene was not even an actress. She was a model. And she didn't realize that this scene would make her career. This is the only movie she's ever been in. But this scene is what she's known for. And this scene... Give this woman an Oscar for the way she died in Jaws. 
So here are some other facts. Some of what you see in Jaws is real shark footage. The studio demanded uh, the producers to shoot real sharks swimming in the ocean. Uh, the uh, they hired a four foot eleven inch actor named Carl Rizzo to appear as Hooper in the shark cage because they wanted the shark to look bigger. So they hired a very short man. Jaws was an initially rated R by the Motion Pictures Association of America, but after some of of the gruesome frames were cut, they made it PG. But the poster in the film still reads that the movie may be too sensitive for younger children and. Because of Jaws, shark panic is a real thing. Some believe the film might have been responsible for the uptick in shark fishing that led to a population decline. A lot of people, ever since this movie, were afraid to get out into the ocean. I know I'm one of those people because before Jaws, you just didn't really think about sharks that much. But after Jaws was released and because it became so iconic... People are afraid now to go out into the ocean because they're afraid to get attacked by the monstrous beast of the jaws of a shark. So I do think that shark panic happened because of Jaws. And finally, Steven Spielberg got the directing job on Jaws because of his first movie he ever directed, Duel, which is a great film to watch. It's about a truck driver chasing a businessman in a truck. And the whole movie is him trying to get away from the truck, which is a great movie. And it was Steven Spielberg's first film. But folks, that is the first blockbuster movie that I wanted to discuss. And that's kind of what we're going to do going forward for the next several weeks is taking one movie and doing a deep dive into it. And it's got to be a summer blockbuster for it to be on this list. But folks, it is now time to take Off the Cuff's Song of the Week. So sit back, relax, and roll down them windows on this beautiful day and listen to a little Post Malone. Enough is enough. We'll be back after the song. And that was Post Malone with his new song, Enough is Enough, and that's off his new album, Austin. And if you didn't know, that is his real name, Austin. All right, folks, we're going to take our last break because we do have one more segment coming up after these words. Stick with us. everybody to Off the Cuff. Adam Banks here with you. Last segment of the hour. Let's get to Off the Cuff's quote of the week. And this week's quote is going to come from George Eliot. George Eliot was an English novelist, poet, journalist, translator, and one of the leading writers of the Victorian era. And the quote is this. It is never too late to be who you might have been. It is never too late to be who you might have been. And I love that quote because we always think a lot of the times that when we get to a certain age, we've reached the end. 
we can't do anything else. Ah, that couldn't be further from the truth. Listen, you can have several different lifetimes in this life. The first 30 years of your life can be a lifetime, which means the next 30 years of your life can be a lifetime, and the next 30 years after that can be considered a lifetime. So if you are 60 years old and you're thinking, well, I'm too old to do this. I'm too old to be what I want to be. No, you're not. You still have a whole lifetime to go. As a matter of fact, who wants to accomplish their goals too early in life? Because once you reach them, what's, what's there to go after next? And sure, you can always create new ones. But isn't the journey and the road of doing what you want to do the fun part? Isn't that the best part? The climb, the journey, the walk? I'm very much a journeyman. The success that I have certainly did not happen overnight. I've been doing radio since 2019. I've been doing podcasting since 2014. I'm a professor. That didn't happen overnight. People didn't see what I had to go through to become a professor. Long, long, long days and nights of teaching as an adjunct, traveling from pillar to post, trying to get experience before I was hired on to being full-time. But looking back on it, the journey is what I enjoyed the most. When you get something handed to you, it's not very... You can't really appreciate it like you can once you work for it. So once you get it, though... You've got it. What's there else? What else is there to do? So if you're at that point in your life where you're thinking, oh, I'm too old to go back to school, or I'm too old to get on the radio, or I'm too old to want to be a TV star, or I'm too old to move out to Hollywood to be an actor, or I'm too old to start my own business, no, you are. it's never too late to be who you might have been. Everybody was put on this earth to do something. I truly believe that. We have to believe that, right? We wasn't just put on this earth just to exist, just to breathe. What's the point in human beings, what's significant about us if that's really all we were put on the earth to do? So, we were all meant to be something. You need to figure out what it is you were meant to be and go after it. If you haven't become that yet, it's never too late to become that, folks. So, for this week's quote of the week, it's definitely going to be by George Eliot. It's never too late to be who you might have been. All right, folks. And with that being said, we are going to wrap up this edition of Off the Cuff with Adam Banks. If you liked what you heard, you will probably like our previous episodes. You can subscribe to us on podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you stream your favorite podcast. You can follow the show on social media at Off the Cuff with Adam Banks. You can follow me, the host, on social media at The Adam Banks. We release new episodes every Thursday right here on WLXU 93.9 FM from 4 to 5, which means we will be back same time, same place. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Adam Banks, and this is Off the Cuff. I'll catch you down the road. Forget about the rest. Let's coincide. I'm back in your zone, baby, back in your vibe.